Morning, everyone. My name's Roger. I'm one of the team here. I was thinking with the coolness of the weather this morning, I was reminded, and I look around, several of you have lived in Ireland. Uh, uh, one of my friends, in fact, Brendan, uh, Brendan's uh, sister-in-law did once post on Facebook saying it was so cold in Ireland that she'd be better off if she opened the fridge and got inside it. It's been feeling like that this morning. Well, to Luke and uh, Luke chapter 1 that we've heard read, and when I read these first four verses uh, of Luke, it, it raises the question for me, or at least shines a light on the question, who would want to be a Christian? I wonder if that's a question you've ever asked yourself. What with all the reasons we are given by others not to, and maybe some we can think of ourselves, how can you believe in a God that allows suffering, we're asked? How can you believe in the God you can't see? How can you believe in a God that demands you bend your will to his? How can you believe something that can't be proven? How can you believe something that most people don't? How can you believe something that your peers and even perhaps your nearest and dearest deny? And then there's the news this week. Just another week and yet another example of how out of step Christians must be if we deny the will of the the wider community we live in. And so you probably heard of the seven manly NRL players and their unwillingness to wear a gay pride jersey on Thursday night. Uh, But most significantly, you would have heard the backlash against them from near and far. Uh, It's been scathing. In terms of what you see and what you experience, we don't live in a community that's flocking to become Christians. In fact, the weight of opinion and circumstances press us the opposite way. So should we wrap it up? Should we shut it down? Should we turn off the lights? Have we been sorely mistaken? Our hopes misplaced? Our confidence an illusion? No Christians, certainly not. Those sorts of questions, those sorts of feelings, we may feel this time we live in is a hard time to follow Jesus. We might even feel like it's harder than times in the past. We may feel our experiences really call into question the things we have believed or others may want to call them into question for us. But we are not the first and we won't be the last. But we do have a better story than the alternative that's being promoted uh, beyond us, uh, in conflict perhaps even with us. A knowledge that doesn't just give hope, but a confidence that is trustworthy. We know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the saviour of the world, the one who offers us forgiveness and who cares for us and keeps us, come what may. Are they bold claims? Yes, they are. But they are well-founded. 
And as we come to the Gospel of Luke and begin this series on Luke chapter nine, uh, one verse, uh, chapters 1 to 9, we're going to find that Luke and his fellow Christians, they were more like us than different to us. They faced the same challenges and doubts and suffering. And Luke's remedy, his reason for writing, is so when we experience any of those things, we might keep trusting Jesus. And how does he do that? Well, of course, he wrote this book of Luke. Uh, he also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, when you put Luke and Acts together, he wrote more of the New Testament part of our Bibles than anyone else. Uh, we believe it's written by Luke because very early church history uh, uh, puts his name against it. But he does that, uh, he writes, so that we would meet and know and trust and love the one, the one who makes life uh, and true life possible. The Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God's King, the Messiah. Now, we're actually going to focus in on uh, Luke's introduction today, uh, really four verses, four verses that uh, were so amiably uh, introduced by, what, what was his name? Justin Credible. Uh, no racial stereotypes in this church, are there? Uh, four verses he writes at the beginning of his Bible, verses one to four. But uh, before we get there, have you ever been, uh, have you ever, when you've been deciding whether to read a book or not, turned to the back, turned to the end to see how it ends to decide whether you want to read it? Anyone ever done that? Oh, a lot, yeah, a lot of you, yeah. Uh, Given Luke's gospel is all about Jesus and yet he doesn't mention him by name in the first four verses, let me take you to what Luke reports in his last chapter at the end of his book as everything that's happened and all the pieces that have been revealed are joined together. And we heard read uh, chapter 24 from verse 14 to 35 earlier when Jesus met the two men on the road to Emmaus what comes next in verses 44 to 48 captures the same when Jesus speaks to all of the gathered disciples. Have a listen to it. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their, their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now what Jesus is saying, what Luke is reporting, these are extraordinary claims. I don't have to tell you that, do I? <laughs> That Jesus is God's promised king, the Messiah. That God's plan for his king, for God's king, would be suffering and humiliation and death. That a man should rise from the dead when dead men don't get up again. And that the possibility of forgiveness between us and, uh, uh, and God is now a reality. 
This is why uh, we call it the gospel. Uh, Jesus used that language. The early church used that language for this and uh, uh, the message, but also for these four books at the beginning of the New Testament, uh, Luke included, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and that's why they're called gospels. Uh, gospel means good news, and this is the best of good news for every one of us. Now, recognising, recognising the extraordinary claims Luke is passing on, uh, and it's not like Luke and others like him didn't know they were extraordinary. You know, one of the arguments that I hear to try and sort of put Christianity off to the side, to put Jesus off to the side, is when people talk about the ancients, those who lived, you know, the time of Luke, 2,000 years ago, as if they were... Well, as if they were monks, uh, that they'd believe anything. Uh, and that we're so enlightened now, we see through the myths they believed. But really? <laughs> I'm reminded of Christmas time when Matthew's Gospel recounts Mary falling pregnant, though she was a virgin. Do you think her fiancé, Joseph, who knew he wasn't the father, believed that at first? Absolutely not. He was going to divorce her for unfaithfulness. He knew how women became pregnant. Extraordinary claims need to be backed up with extraordinary evidence if they're going to be believed. And Luke understood that. Luke knew it and with that in mind he wrote his gospel for his first reader for those who have read him since and wonderfully for us today. How does he put it in his own words? Well, that's where these first four verses are so helpful. Because in these we get to hear from the man himself why he's written and how he's gone about it. And that, that will change and shape how we walk in following the Lord Jesus. Let me read again verse 1 and 2. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now there's a lot to notice here. Uh, first, Luke doesn't see himself as the first to prepare a written record of the gospel. He tells us others have as well. Many, in fact. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, most of those we don't have. Though if you read through Luke, it seems very likely that uh, met from some of the episodes that appear in both Mark and Luke, that Luke had and used Mark's gospel, which we do have. Here's another thing to notice. Luke doesn't claim to be an eyewitness himself, but he does see himself as recording the, what the eyewitnesses saw. And what they handed down to Luke and Luke's peers like him. Luke, as it were, were the, the, and his peers were the second generation <clears throat> from those who were eyewitnesses. In fact, Luke appears to have been a companion of the Apostle Paul, and Paul, like the other 12 apostles, was a witness to the risen Jesus. Why do we think 
Luke was Paul's companion? Well, it's because in the book of Acts, the other book by Luke, which uh, turns to what happened after Jesus rose and was taken into heaven, from chapter 16, there's a shift where uh, it happens several times that instead of writing about others and what happened to them, what we call in English in the third person, uh, it shifts to him writing about we and us like he was there talking in the first person. Perhaps where those events are recounted, that was the point in time where Luke joined up with and travelled with Paul. Luke is also named as one of the companions of Paul. (coughs) He's also, we're told, a doctor. And with the amount of time he probably had with Paul, he certainly had opportunity to engage with him and the other eyewitnesses. It even looks like he scored some exclusives on the way. You know how, I I can't believe when some of these uh, uh, media stations talk about the exclusive they have and it's with some, you know, government announcement and I'm thinking, does that just mean your camera angle is exclusive? But this is better than that. This is a proper exclusive where with what we find in chapters 1 and 2, say, for example, in Luke, uh, did he even speak to Mary, the mother of Jesus? Perhaps he spoke to others who were there as these events unfolded as well, as they, after Jesus' resurrection, became servants proclaiming the word about Jesus. Did you notice also, and here's the third thing, as Luke writes, how he describes what will fill the pages of his book, or should I say, seeing as our books hadn't been invented, uh, the things... Uh, the, the, the text of his, that will fill the text of his scroll. Uh, these are the things, he says, that have been fulfilled among us. Luke recalls Jesus saying it as well, doesn't he? As we read in chapter 24, it's there at the beginning and the end of the book. Uh, but what does it mean? How are we meant to hear Luke when he says these things have been fulfilled. He's not just saying uh, they happened, he's saying they happened to keep a promise. They're linked to things that have come before, that they were part of a bigger plan, that they tie in with a greater purpose, the purposes of God to save sinners and install Jesus as Lord. Verses 1 and 2 give us Lots of confidence that Luke didn't write in a vacuum. There were others writing at the same time and he didn't make this stuff up himself. When he wrote it, it could be checked and weighed with the witnesses who were there. And when you look back before Luke and before Jesus, Luke's not in control of what happened or recording what happened there, but he invites us to test what he says is as part of something bigger. He invites us to answer, do these things add up? Is he right to call them fulfilled? Now, in a lot of ways, verses 1 and 2 are just painting the backdrop. 
for verses 3 and 4, giving us a first look into Luke's motivation for writing, where verses 3 and 4 really cut to the chase uh, with what he set out to do and why he sees it as so important. I'll read verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I wonder what you might think when you hear those words of verse 3. Before we get into that, uh, Theophilus gets a mention. Uh, That's a Greek name. Uh, Interestingly, it means lover of God. Uh, Theophilus, this is addressed to, Luke shows him a great honour when the way he calls him most excellent Theophilus. Uh, Maybe he had an important position Uh, or supported Luke so he could complete uh, the writing of this gospel. Uh, He gets a mention also again in volume two as well at the start of the book of Acts. But back to that question I asked, I wonder what you think when you hear the words of verse three, where Luke talks about investigating and doing it carefully and writing an orderly account. Uh, Do those phrases surprise you? Like I said earlier, we can have a very distorted view of the ancients and those who lived 2,000 years ago along with Luke. In fact, the mindset uh, of modern Western thinking uh, often fosters uh, that condescending view as if because we can do more, uh, we're better or more intelligent than them. Uh, when we do more because there are more of us and we're able to stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. But look at Luke. Look at him and compare him to, to what you know of today. He's an historian, isn't he? He's an, an investigative journalist. He's a magistrate weighing a case. Having spoken to those who were there, who saw what Jesus did and heard what he said, Luke gathered and organised it and has given us his gospel so that we would know it too. And if what Luke doesn't, uh, if what Luke says doesn't surprise you, that's okay too, uh, because isn't it? isn't the reason that you might not be surprised that he's telling us he's doing what we'd expect someone in his shoes to do with such important news. Is it worth knowing, though, is this news as important as Luke seems convinced? Now, uh, one of my sons uh, learnt pi, you know, pi when you're doing circles, area and circumference, that sort of thing, sort of big symbol, looks like a Greek pi. Uh, uh, it's a magic number. It's always the same, no matter what circle uh, you use it with. Now, I have to say, oh, in case you're wondering, 3.1415, that's all I know. Uh, That's not really information each of us needs to know or remember to live our lives, is it? You can shake your head on that one, yeah. 
And those of us who even care about Pi may be described as in the minority or nerdy. Uh, I can live with that. A lot of things we are taught are like that, aren't they? Uh, as long as some people know and remember them, we can enjoy the benefits. Bridges will be built that we can drive across. Paintings will be painted that stir our hearts. But the reason Luke wrote this gospel is that this is life-shaping, life-changing. It's there in verse 4. I'll, I'll read back from verse 3 to begin. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here it is so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke prepared the Gospel of Luke as we have it in front of us so that we who were taught the good news about Jesus and what he did and what it means as they read Luke, as we read Luke, may have certainty about what we've been taught. Theophilus in the first place, others down through the years, even now to you and I here today, certainty matters and you can have it. You can have it as you read Luke's Gospel about Jesus. This is one of the extraordinary claims of Christianity it's that what Jesus did and said, he did and said publicly. He didn't claim to have a private vision of God where visions by their very nature can't be confirmed. They're in someone else's head. No, the claims of what Jesus offers us stand firmly and fully on this foundation that the God of eternity became the Jesus of history that he did so in a way that could be seen, that he came and walked among us as a man, as our God. And through his life and death and resurrection now brings forgiveness. Those things matter more than anything else. Those things are of the greatest significance. These are the things, the difference between life and death, of our life and our death. And so you'd be a fool to believe that this salvation was yours and forgiveness was yours and eternal life with God with, was yours without very good reason. And it'd be much easier to come unstuck if the reasons you had weren't very good. It'd be like walking on a pavement and, and we've had a lot of rain lately, haven't we? And hasn't that been a big problem with, with water washing things away, whether it's under a train line or under a road? Imagine if it had done the same on a pavement and the ground in front of you and as soon as you place your weight on it, you stumble and fall. The strength of our belief isn't what matters. But the strength of where our belief is placed, that is what counts. 
And so we have a Lord and Saviour who isn't frightened of close examination, who in his plans and purposes in fact encourages us to examine him. And at the same time as we meet him, given what we find, to humble ourselves in dependence on him. And so, if you're not a follower of Jesus, Luke's gospel is good news for you because of who you'll meet in it. As we read it, uh, all of us read it, read it with us and examine what Luke says about Jesus and the episodes that are recorded here and what Luke shows us that they mean that you may arrive at the certainty Luke, in fact, God himself offers us. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, as so many of us are, Luke's gospel continues to be good news for us as well. Because the Lord Jesus, whom you have met, he knows that Without him, we would stumble and fall, that our doubts would grow, that our trust would waver. He knows that our circumstances include not just the suffering of others, as bad as that is, but the the very real experience of our own suffering. He knows that they include pressure and conflict and people who seem perfectly reasonable to us denying the things that matter to us most, even attacking us for them. But as you continue to return to God here in his word and dwell on who he is and what he's done and his love for you, you can have a confident hope in all that Jesus has done. Actually, our experience, in our experience, it feels more like something that repeats and grows than something you do once and then it's just done. Uh, Let me explain what I mean. For, For most of us, unless it's happening to you today, perhaps for the first time, somewhere in the past, you were first introduced to Jesus and, and when you were, you may have had questions uh, when that first happened. You may have had doubts. Even after a while and hearing more, you might have had those. And those of us who've put our trust in him, we're not immune from them either. We need not fear them, though. But each of us, all of us, are urged to do the same whether we're experiencing them or not, these fears, these doubts, these challenges, it's to return to the orderly accounts of the eyewitnesses and servants of the word, of those who were there at the beginning and those who, like Luke, recorded them for us. Because God, in his loving kindness, gives us his word in Luke, as he does in the other books of the Bible, So we may stand firm in our trust now and look forward to eternity to come.
And of that, we may be certain. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank and praise you yet again that you know us so well. You know us in salvation, but you know us as we live in the knowledge of that salvation that we need to hear and be reminded that we might grow in the certainty that is ours in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for our saviour and we pray you'd keep uh, turning our eyes toward him, what he did and what he said, indeed his character and very heart of love and mercy and grace, that we might grow in confidence that our hope might be well grounded in the knowledge of your power and mercy and great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.